life. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. We live in the information age. Bob Bosel here at the northern end of the world's longest barn. And uh, information from farms is becoming absolutely prolific. What that information is and how entities use that information is very, very valuable. Pam, I almost wish we could sell that as a commodity to some of these people that gather and use that information. Well, you're going down the right track, Bob, that's for sure. Fabulous Farm Bay Pam Yankee at the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. You know, Wisconsin played host to some of the top national farm business managers in the countryside recently. I caught up with one of them that's very much focused in on all the information today's average farm is generating. Farmers don't even realize it, realize it in many points. You know, today we've got the GPS, we've got our yield monitors, we've got uh, robotics on the farm. We're taking care of cattle with uh, different RFID tags. I mean, the technology we're using today is second to none, but that information, where does it go? What is it worth to the farm? And what do you have to protect? That's what I talked about with Terry Griffin. He is a business manager at the University of Missouri, and he was one of the guest speakers talking about all the data that agriculture today generates and how it could turn in to be one of the most valuable crops on the farm. But he also had some advice for farmers when it comes to that data and keeping control of it. Right, there's a lot of value to if you just look at how much money, how much venture capital is chasing farm data around the world. It's billions and billions of dollars. It's not not anything small. And there's some really smart people here who are uh, backing this. And so at the farm level, we're asking, well, how valuable is this farm data, and what can we do for, do with it? Well, you know, the answer is different if we want to keep it within the farm gate as opposed to uh, participating communities um, who are trying to assemble farm data together. Uh, But farmers need to keep in mind that uh, the value capture is different for every player. So the value capture for the farmer is different than the ag retailer, than the uh, uh, company who controls the flow of data for that community. So one of the things that I think we've learned collectively is that there's a lot of competition out there for companies to compete with each other to get farm data. Uh, farmers may feel like they're in a hurry, but my best advice to uh, row crop farmers is that they can take a deep breath, wait, and see who will be the successful farm data companies because uh, there's a really good chance that if they, if a farmer joins a company today, that company may not be in business in a few years. And it's a, more than just a little hassle to join up every 18 months. So Farmers, although uh, you're getting a lot of pressure from companies to join and relinquish data to them, keep in mind that you're not in you're not in as big of a hurry as they are. They're in a hurry. You're not. Yeah, they're looking, as you said, for some of that venture capital, and that's all about numbers. Now, if I'm a grower, uh, is there anything that I have to be mindful of? You mentioned mm-hmm. I make a commitment to you. I'll relinquish my information to you. You go out of business. What happens to my information? That's a good question, and you know. Uh, working with the ag attorneys, uh, they suggest that there's not really any uh, given laws, uh, state or federal level, that will govern these things. So it's going to revert back to contracts. So be familiar with what your contract says. And keep in mind that, you know, it could be as simple as when we uh, download an app to our yeah. phone, you know, there's an agreement we sign, you know, the EULA, the end user license yeah. agreement. Well, um, when it comes to farm data issues, you know, be prepared to read those and know what they say. Um, but also keep in mind that, you know, as an individual farmer, you have virtually no negotiation power 
when it comes to uh, accepting an agreement from a multinational company. But be familiar with what those agreements say and what, what you're agreeing to. You know, Terry, that's, to your point, it is kind of frustrating. I think anybody with a smartphone has done it. You want this app right away, so you click it, you don't read all the way no. through. Now, to a farmer's point, is this turning into a value play, a money play? Is it to the point, as far as competitiveness, where this data and my partnership in relinquishing it is going to bring me any money? I said to you before, I'm trying to find a glass half full story here, Terry. Well, there's a lot of opportunity, um, but the opportunity has to be met with due diligence of who to partner with. Yeah. Don't partner with everybody. Yeah. If you do, you've diluted yeah. yourself. But there are some good partners out there, and I, and I think if, you, if a farmer takes a close look about um, – not just the, the relationships with the local um, sales force, but for with the intention of the actual company, uh, not just looking at mission statements. Mission statements are sort of not as valuable as the written contracts. So be, be familiar with that. A lot of opportunity at the farm level within a farm gate. Uh, my best recommendation to a farmer is you probably have the technology, you probably have yield monitors, NAS applied verbal rate equipment. You have access to all this equipment. One of the greatest things that you can do within the farm gates is test new products, whether it's a fungicide or a system, a practice, a tillage device. Do some on-farm experimentation. Take your precision ag tools, uh, collect the data, and analyze it to see which practices work best under your management practices on your farm. And I think that's one of the greatest things farmers can be doing right now with farm data. Because it differentiates you. It does. And you, you will have a year, maybe two, leapfrog against other farms who are waiting to see what products are um, been successful in their area. All right, what about acres? See, i got a bunch of guys in Wisconsin, Terry, that, mm -hmm. that say, ah, I'm too small. Does mm -hmm. it matter? Well, you know, it's obvious if you want to invest in large machinery, you need some acres to spread the fixed cost yeah. out on, okay? But let's talk about farm data. Um, smaller farms who maybe even uh, custom have custom operators come in to harvest their, their acres, well, they can still get data, right? You know, they can still get access to, to farm data, uh, thousands of observations per acre. And if small farms, small acre farms, pull their data together, they may gain insights that would otherwise be unattainable at the acreage level and help play, uh, level the playing field against larger farms. You make a good point. hadn't even thought about my custom operators. Do I have to have a conversation with my custom chopper, my custom combine, mm -hmm. custom planter on what mm -hmm. they're doing with my information? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, that's one of the things I've noticed uh, as I travel the world. When I was in Australia last year, there were um, farms tend to be bigger in Australia, yeah. um, it's a lot drier than, mm -hmm. than here in the heartland of the United States. So you'll see 20,000, 30,000-acre farms, and if farms that big will have their own harvesters, yeah. their own planters, but they also have their own uh, fertilizer applicators, own sprayers. So they have less reliance upon third-party retailers or cooperatives or uh, uh, yeah. custom applicators. And in the United States, we have more reliance upon those third-party services such that our data is our – I say our data, that's uh, – Data may not be able to be owned, uh, such that in the United States, farms are sized such that different service providers will have access to different layers of data mm -hmm. just because of the business structure that we're using. Mm -hmm. You kind of led me to my next question. Can we own data? Uh, how, how is the cat already out of the bag on this, Terry? Um, we've, like I said, we've been talking about big data for a few mm -hmm. years now. Yeah. It's 
it's caught the attention of a lot of big industries and it's got conferences happening around right. the world. Is the cat out of the bag on me being able to own my own data and keep control of it? I don't think it's a story has been written yet. Uh, the ag attorneys I work with will tell me that uh, there's no state or federal legislation in the United States that governs ownership of data, period. Um, and in particular, there's nothing in farm data, so that means we resort back to contracts. Uh, data being an intangible good, yeah. um, it doesn't fit well with things that we can hold yeah. and touch and feel that we can own yeah. by those definitions. Mm -hmm. And the, the definition of ownership does not apply to things like data that have no yeah. tangible yeah. value. value. Mm -hmm. So with all this international discussion about tariffs and intellectual mm -hmm. property, that automatically makes me curious. Our companies that we work with are international companies uh, in other world markets, but my, my information may end up in their hands. Is that part of this intellectual property concern that we hear of? There's a lot of concerns about that, um, and it's not just international. It can be uh, yeah. multinational or even uh, companies within the United States yeah. that we're, we're dealing with. Um, and, and the fact is we need to be cognizant that a company's goal is to make money. If it is a publicly traded company, right. their job is to make their shareholders happy. Their job is not to make customers happy. Uh, so keep that in mind. Now, okay, what can I do? You've scared me now, Terry. I'm looking around every mm -hmm. corner on my cell mm -hmm. phone and my virtual world, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, they know my cows, right. they know my... So what can I do? Do I have to put a filter on? Do I have to have some security system? Do I have to put out a new protocol to my employees about uh, any downloads? What do I have to do? Well, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, there was a project that um, there was an ag attorney at uh, Oklahoma State University named Shannon Farrell, who, and he and I put a workbook, a handbook together last year. And uh, we, he lays out these things. He suggests if you have employees, uh, consider having employees sign a non-disclosure agreement if they have access to, to data. Okay? Some, just some common sense type things. Um, but when it comes to farm data, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. Uh, it, it, I think it's best not to partner with everybody. Be selective who you partner with. And if you're unsure, just sit back and wait. I think the solution will present itself in the near future. Do collect data because if you, even if you don't have any reason to now, you may next year. And it, there's a learning curve. So it's best right. to make those mistakes early on, and then by the time you get ready to use it, you're doing a really good job of collecting that data. Where do you point farmers as far as how to start that learning curve, Terry? Because I don't even know how to begin pulling my data together? Is it multiple platforms that mm -hmm. I have to be looking at? Is there one place I can go that will coach me up on how to do this? How do I get started? Well, the multiple platforms is a current problem and a barrier. Yeah. None of us want to no. input the data more than once, right? So I think that's a problem that needs to alleviate itself before we get real serious by joining. Mm -hmm. um, basic things we've been hearing for 20 years. Farmer, calibrate your yield monitor. Mm -hmm. uh, you may want to do this more than once per year. Uh, we say look at the manufacturer's recommendations, um, calibrate the yield monitor and start collecting good data, look at the data, and ask yourself, how can I become a better farmer by using this? And I've had farmers tell me that they've learned things about a uh, different style of combine operation. You've got different generations on a farm. Yeah. Some people drive differently in different directions. Um, and, and when we're harvesting grain, well, there's, there's, we may want to change our 
path plan going through the field to increase the quality of the yeah. data. How many times do we need to lift a header mm. and sure. those types of things? Mm. Mm. Boy, it gets complicated fast, too. That's Dr. Terry Griffin. He's a farm management cropping systems precision agriculture assistant professor. My mistake, he's at Kansas State University. And here's the real challenge. Terry says that right now there is really no platform that can help you keep control of your data. He said he's optimistic that we're going to get there, but today there's no real way to aggregate all your data into one system. So instead... You've got to try to keep a handle on all of it, and that gets complicated quick. But he said in the future, he hopes there will be value in that data from the farm. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Farm Director Pam Yonke. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. Do you struggle with stubborn fat bulges that hang around even with a healthy diet and regular exercise? You may be a candidate for Cool Sculpting, the world's leading non-invasive fat removal treatment. A skincare minute with skincare expert Michelle Neeson. Cool Sculpting safely and effectively freezes unwanted fat bulges without surgery or downtime. The crystallized cells are eliminated naturally through the body for long-lasting results. Advanced training through the exclusive Cool Sculpting University makes the medical providers at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie experts in body contouring. Come in for a free assessment to see if Cool Sculpting is right for you. To learn more, visit the experienced medical professionals at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie for natural, long lasting confidence and beauty. Let your natural beauty shine through. Find us at rejuvenationclinicofsuckprairie.com. It's the kind of charge you were never expecting. Ah! Hidden charges. You've got to be kidding me. Airline companies do it all the time. Check baggage, flight rebooking fees, and so on. As other industries took notice, everyone began implementing hidden charges into what otherwise you thought were complimentary services. When you have a plumbing issue, the last thing you need is another surprising charge. With Benjamin Plumbing in the surrounding Madison area, you never pay a trip charge. When others say, Well, we got to roll a truck and that's going to cost blah, 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 blah. Benjamin Plumbing says in the surrounding Madison area, no trip charge. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say no trip charge in the surrounding Madison area, we mean it. No excuses. I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. Her barn doors are always open. This is the Wisconsin Farm Report with Pam Yonke. You know, when I came into the office this morning, I thought, yeah, if you had your windows open overnight, it'd uh, be pretty nice. Well, so long as it didn't rain, it's 520 and time to talk weather. Stumach Ag Meteorologist along with us. Man, I'll tell you, buddy, that that popped up pretty fast yesterday in some areas. I had my uh, little dogs outside, and all, and they kind of run in and out. I leave the door open, and holy peapot, all of a sudden the skies opened up downpoured. I almost thought I heard hail, but I think it was just a lot of wind and rain. I I don't know what I got. I think I got about a third of an inch of rain all at once. You said you've got some numbers from around uh, the listing area. I've got some hit or misses. I see 49 hundredths of an inch at the airport in Madison yesterday, 
And then you get over here, the Fond du Lac airport said 34 hundredths. My rain gauge showed three quarters of an inch. Mm. And my buddy Paul over on the Sheboygan County line, Fond du Lac, Sheboygan County, 62 hundredths of an inch. Yeah, and I think Dell called me. I Forgive me, Dell. I was kind of running around this morning. I think he said he got about a half an inch of rain. So he's uh, right in that midst as well. So I'm heading out to uh, Wisconsin Farm Technology Day's media day today in Jefferson. What's it going to be like? It's going to be a little damp there from the rain, but then it's going to be kind of warm and steamy as well today. That's the big news. Uh, that low-pressure system and cool front have pulled well off to our east, way over from lower Michigan down into Ohio, Tennessee, Kentucky. Nothing much to talk about rainfall-wise over Wisconsin now, but there is a little rain out in western Iowa, far northeast North Dakota. Boy, that sounds a long way off, but low pressure is still out to the west, and I expect another cool front to swing on through. In fact, on toward later this afternoon or evening, there will be a chance for a very scattered shower or a thunderstorm. I've seen some indications on a couple of forecast maps that we could be talking about some quarter and a half inch amounts just with a little fast moving storm system moving through late today or this evening. And otherwise, it stays quite a bit warmer and we get sunshine and warm weather again Wednesday. I expect that as this little system moves through today, the resultant front pulls up as a warm front could mean a little more rain and right now i'd have to say maybe more measurable rains as we wrap up the week i'll have the forecast right after this if something unexpected happens to your business wouldn't you want to be protected by a local wisconsin-based insurance company that also protects thousands of other wisconsin businesses there's a local rural mutual insurance agent office near you and premiums paid here stay here to keep wisconsin strong rural mutual insurance keeping wisconsin strong Did you know for kids 10 years of age and younger, the number one cause of amputation and limb loss? Lawnmowers. Here's some simple safety tips. 6, 12, 16. When mowing, children under 6 stay inside. 12 years of age can use a push mower when supervised. Riding mowers can be operated when children turn 16. 6, 12, 16. To save lives and limbs. A message from UW Health at American Family Children's Hospital. All righty, Stu, let's have some more details on what we can expect today. Well, let's say the next 48 hours or so. All right, beautiful. A nice, sunny, pleasant day today. Late afternoon, a shower or a pop-up thunderstorm. You'll see it develop to the west, and it'll swing on through. Look for temps today. Oh, Madison could be cool in the upper 70s. Everybody else in the low 80s, and the southwest winds 5 to 15. That chance of an evening shower or storm, partly cloudy skies develop overnight, and we hold up in the low 60s with the west winds at 5 to 10. Sunny, warm on Wednesday. Low 80s in the south could be mid-80s elsewhere, and the winds will become west about 5 It's late Wednesday night and Thursday, Pam, that some showers and possible thunderstorms develop. More clouds, I'd say all of us up in the low and mid-80s on Thursday. But there could be some heavier rainfall amounts Thursday into Friday. So we'll keep an eye on that one, let you know what to expect. All right, buddy. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks.
Stumacher, Ag Meteorologist with Weather Details. Lacrosse, you're starting off with clear skies this morning. You're at 61. Mauston, likewise, clear and 61. Fond du Lac, clear and 61. Oshkosh, clear and 59. At the airport in Madison, currently clear and 61 degrees. Yeah, today we're going to find out some more behind-the-scenes details on what to expect for the state's largest outdoor agriculture event, Wisconsin Farm Technology Days, at the, at the Walters Grain Operation in Jefferson County. So look for that detail and uh, more pictures on our social media streams. 525 now. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. Monica? Yes, Sarah? How does a person know they've found the right diamond? Choosing a diamond is sort of like choosing a puppy. A puppy? You feel yourself drawn to it. You're not sure why. You just are. You're saying I should buy the diamond that speaks to me. No. Several diamonds will speak to you. You should buy the one that you feel drawn to. Several of them will speak to me? Here, look at these diamonds. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. I would look so good on your finger. I'm the one for you. You know I am. Pick me. Each of these diamonds is exceptional. Can you tell? Are you kidding? Of course they're exceptional. Average diamonds just sit there. But Kessler's Diamonds are wide awake and ready for adventure. Shopping at Kessler's is fun. Making customers supremely happy is in our DNA. It's the reason that Kessler's is here. Casual and easygoing with every possible diamond and every possible ring. Welcome to Kessler's. Find the Kessler's nearest you at Kessler'sDiamonds.com Hi, I'm Travis Ganser. We hear you. You need new windows. Ganser Company is proud to introduce 80 Years and 80 Minutes. Simply put, you need real information and pricing so you can make a good decision and spend your precious time with your family and friends, not contractors failing to call you back, taking weeks to get you an estimate, or the high-pressure sales pitch you dread. Our 80 years of hindsight for 80 minutes of your time. We give you the skinny in 80 minutes to make an educated decision. With the huge swing in temperatures from below zero to the upper 90s, Ganser Company has the only window made for Wisconsin climate. Infinity Windows from Marvin offer a lifetime warranty. Bring on the ice, wind, and the heat. Infinity Windows don't warp, crack, or fade like vinyl windows. Call today, 608-222-1243, or stop into our showroom and see the Infinity Window Experience. Remember, 80 years and 80 minutes from a local family business of four generations. It's that simple. Dancer, that's the answer. Have you been seeing ads for non-surgical body contouring popping up all over the place? How do you choose the right clinic and right treatment with so many options now? A skincare minute with skincare expert, Michelle Neeson. Cool sculpting has been around for over 10 years. At our clinic alone, we've performed over 1,000 treatments and continue to be amazed at the results. With many other devices, fat reduction is attempted through heat. In our experience, results can be very inconsistent and oftentimes only shrink fat cells rather than cause fat cell death, as in cool sculpting. Shrunken fat cells return with even a small amount of weight gain, whereas removed fat cells do not. Go with the treatment that has long term proven results rather than the fat of the week. Choosing cool sculpting at Rejuvenation Clinic will provide you with the best chance of success. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. 
agronomy, feed, propane, agri-finance, fuels, and more. Insight FS is your supplier of choice. With FS Diesel X Gold, you get power, efficiency, and protection. Engineered to be the best fuel to power and protect your diesel engines. Count on Diesel X Gold from Insight FS. From energy to agriculture, on the farm, at your business, or at home, make Insight FS your valued partner. Visit InsightFS.com for a location near you. Sure, you can do it yourself, but is it really worth it? Do-it-yourself plumbing is often no walk in the park, and you run the risk of leaks leading to water damage or the dangers of electrical problems or even gas leaks. It's also important your plumbing repairs meet current codes and standards. When you hire your friends from Benjamin Plumbing, you know it's fixed right, up to code, and guaranteed. The majority of Benjamin's residential plumbing repairs are more affordable than you think. Save your marriage. Save your sanity. Save your weekend. Before you roll up your sleeves and try it yourself, contact your friends at Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses. I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. Shopping at Rogan's Shoes is fun. Shop great name brands and get the second pair for half price. Mix and match shoes for your entire family. If you don't need a second pair of shoes or boots at the time of your purchase, just bring in your receipt at a later date to receive your half price discount. Rogan Shoes, a family-owned and operated company. Madison East and West and Janesville and Beloit. Equal value or less, some exclusions may apply. See complete details at a store near you. We welcome in our guy, Cody Grant. Can I say was, something to yeah, Cody real quick? Cody, are you there, buddy? What's going on? Thank you, yep. so, thank you so much for joining us. I know there was an unruly mob at Miller Park yesterday, and these fans just wouldn't, <laughs> just wouldn't get out of everyone's way. So the fact that you're able to... You know, survive Miller Park and the fans in your way. I thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I know it was very jarring for you. I didn't even really know how I was able to see the game. I think know, I'm it picking was, up your guy's sarcasm here. So. <laughs> well, I should hope so. I'm laying it on pretty I was, I was very, I was so distraught yesterday. I'm so glad you survived. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I was okay. I got through it. I was able to uh, kind of figure out what happened. Uh, by the, that's funny. Uh, by the way, Cody, uh, congratulations to the man, uh, Becky Lynch, uh, successfully defending her title at Stomping Grounds, and then coming to the aid of real-life boyfriend Seth Rollins in the main event uh, for Seth Rollins to uh, retain his title. So uh, yeah. Becky and her man, uh, and she is the man, and her literal man, uh, both went at Stomping Grounds last night. Yeah, no, it was cool to see. I thought that Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch were both going to retain, and they did, and they should, because I didn't think Baron Corbin had any reason to be Universal Champion. So that was cool to see Becky go in there and help out Seth Rollins, and uh, kind of made the main event like, okay, like this, this was this wasn't a bad finish. The uh, Seth Rollins is he okay with not being the man, and his girlfriend's the man? Ah, oh, man, because yeah, Seth used to always say he was the man. Yeah, and now Be- and then Becky's the man. Said, she was the man. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, arguments going on there. But uh, Becky is the man. So Man-on-man um, action. That just has to say. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, a, good, it was a good uh, show last night. All right, uh, Cody, are we now with the Brewers winning a couple in a row, you know, to, to finish up the series, are we at the point where we can just say every team 
It's baseball. It's a long season. Everybody experiences it from, you know, the Dodgers to the Astros to the Yankees. All the good teams just have those midseason swoons. Can you say that's what last week was, or are there still some concerns in your mind with the Brewers? I mean, I think there's definitely concerns. I thought there were concerns last year when the Brewers finished first place in the NL Central, but they had that. Remember, right before the All-Star break, they got swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates. They lost five straight games, and I was doing some research, and I think it was like 26 teams over the last, I don't know how, ever many years, maybe 30, 40 years, have gone through a season without a five-game losing streak. I mean, Every team goes through it. It's baseball. It's going to happen. You're not going to play your best. Uh, but I still am, do have concern with the starting pitching, of course. Uh, Brandon Woodruff has been great this season. Zach Davies has been really good. But Yolisha Seen still struggling. Uh, Corbin Burns now back in AAA. Freddie Peralta, where he is, where has he been? And then Jimmy Nelson, of course, just moved to the bullpen. Adrian Hauser, we get the start on Wednesday. But so yeah, I mean, there's definitely concerns, but I don't think you can look at any team in baseball, except for maybe the Astros right now, and say there isn't a concern. Uh, visiting with our guy Cody Grant. I mean, great point to last year, and I totally forgot. And it was wasn't it like yeah, it was a five games, like some rainouts or whatever, some makeups, and they had that five game series. Mm-hmm. With Pittsburgh. Now, the difference, I guess, there is you come back and really, Cody, after the All Star break, the Brewers really fell apart. And I mean, it, they, what did Ebo, they had like 5% chances of making the playoffs once once August rolled around. I mean, they, they kind of undid mm-hmm. everything they did before the All Star break. They had a really bad uh, July. I mean, is there any concern now, or is it like they learned their lesson from last year? Because this, this season seems like exactly how last season played out. The only difference is. We have last season to base it on, whereas a year ago, nobody saw this coming. Yeah, it's very similar uh, to last season, but they're a good team. I mean, they still find ways to win games when maybe they really shouldn't win. Their offense is, I really think, starting to click and roll. And I like Yasmani Grandal in the leadoff spot and what they've been doing the last couple of days, putting the pitcher at the eighth spot. You got Ben Gamble at, at nine. And then, obviously, you can't say enough about Christian Yelich. That guy, uh, what he has done this season, I mean, lock up the MVP right now and give it to him because yeah. I don't think anybody's taking that away from him. And then Mike Moustakis, I mean, how big has he been? Uh, you're looking at three all-stars on this roster, Brandal, Moustakis, and Yelich. And then Arcia starting to play better. He just hit his 10th home run. Uh, last night, it was good to see Shaw get into the mix, finally hit a home run, got them started in that third inning. Uh, so they're hitting. Uh, they're hitting the ball hard. They're hitting the ball good. It's just got to, you know, their starters have to go more innings. Uh, Council's been stressing length, and Woodruff went seven innings yesterday, which was huge for them because uh, they're bullpen guys. Uh, I mean, they're getting taxed. They, they lead the National League in innings pitched. This is the Farm Report with Pam Young. All righty, 535 now on a Tuesday morning. Bryce Snore, commodity specialist, Farm Futures Magazine, farmfutures.com, checking in in just a little bit. Uh, we're also talking about on-farm dining. It's something you used to only see, like, for June dairy breakfast, but now more and more, it's turning into an enterprise that farmers are turning to, that organizations are hosting, that consumers are enjoying. Reba's got that story in just a little bit. I'm Pam Yonke. Now, from Landmark Services Cooperative Agri-News Desk, here's what's happening on a Tuesday. So on this date, back in 1947, the Diary of Anne Frank is finally published. It was basically a Jewish girl's account of her life in hiding from the Nazis. Uh, Her father actually published it and uh, went on tour with the book, The Diary of Anne Frank. 
published on this date back in 1947. And now you know. Well, what we're finding out is that more and more people want to know where their food comes from. More and more people don't know what a farm looks like today. That's why on-farm dining experiences are finding a lot of popularity with consumers today. Reba McClone had a chance to visit with someone that's turned it into their own business. Rachel Armstrong runs farmcommons.org, and she says she finds that interaction very interesting. Reba? A lot of restaurants lately have been pushing a farm-to-table feel, sourcing local ingredients and allowing people to know the story behind the food that they're having. But a greater opportunity for that is opening up the farm itself. Now, for some, opening up their home for people to come and visit on a regular basis is not what they're interested in. But on-farm dining has become a trend. And Rachel Armstrong, the executive director and founder of Farm Commons, explained why that trend has started and if on-farm dining really is as simple as what it sounds like. It absolutely is. Serving people food on your farm and in a huge variety of contexts and ways. And that's such an interesting concept because it just doesn't seem like something that I would think about starting myself. And so what is the big deal about on-farm dining? Well, so if you look at it from a farmer's perspective, you know, it's hard to make a buck farming these days, especially. Um, And uh, diversification can really assist a farmer in creating a business that is more resilient over time. Um, there are a number of ways that farms look at diversification. You know, can they add value to their products? Um, but agritourism is another one of those big ways. How can we take advantage of the public's interest in food and farming right now and use that, work with that opportunity to um, to increase our, our, our farm's bottom line, um, to create more diverse revenue streams that can support us over the long term. So from the farmer's perspective, that's, I think, you know, the primary motivation of looking at something like this. I mean, that being said, it is not for everyone. Not everybody wants a bunch of people traipsing onto the farm um, and, you know, they're for food. Uh, but we, we already have a tradition of that um, with dairy breakfasts and, and, and things like that. And we know how much the public gets out of these opportunities. So some farms are looking at that and saying, you know, I like the dairy breakfast idea. Can we have it in, you know, a month other than June? Can we keep this thing going? I think it's attractive to a wide variety of operations, certainly not just dairy farms and not just, you know, your more quaint um, vegetable, you know, boutique kind of operation, too. There's, there's a huge range of farmers that are, that are looking at this and thinking about how can they, um, they, can, how can they take advantage of this opportunity and increase their, uh, their resiliency over time. Why are consumers so interested? Consumers don't know what farms look like anymore. They don't know what farms do. They don't, they don't know, you know, um, how their food is produced, where it comes from, and they're really fascinated by it. I think, that's, I think that can be a wonderful thing, and I think as a farm community, um, we should welcome their, their curiosity um, and uh, provide really positive ways for people to interact with farms. We can't really expect them to care about you know, are we surviving as businesses? Are we, you know, are we making money? Are we contributing to the environment if they can't actually see what's happening? Because, you know, we're humans. And, and once we can see things, then we have a deeper investment in, um, in what's going on there. So anyways, I keep going back to the farmer perspective because that's, 
that's the world that that I come from. Um, but I think you know I have three children who are who are very young and they're fascinated by cows, chickens, tractors. You know, families love this stuff because because children are, are naturally I think fascinated with um, the the equipment, the animals, the things that happen on a farm. What makes I know you said that they kind of get to see the farm, but a lot of restaurants are sourcing locally now. So what makes this so different and special compared to that? Well, it's one thing to sit in a restaurant and be, you know, be served a potato that was grown locally. But by that point, you know, it's peeled, it's mashed, there's something else has happened to it and it's presented to you on a plate. You still really don't get a sense of what it means to produce a potato, it's, uh, you know, and even if you know the, the farm name where it came from, or even if you have some sort of story behind it, it is not at all the same thing as actually seeing it. So there's a, there's a huge difference. And I think there's also a huge leap in the customer's understanding of agriculture once they actually get onto the farm. We could do that just by offering tours, but... The consumer of today, um, you know, is very interested in, in paying for prepared food and interested in paying for uh, eating experiences that, that are experiences. You know, they, they really like when it goes beyond just, you know, here's a sandwich um, and that it, it, there's, there's something else going on there. Although to some, on-farm dining is not the ideal, it is an excellent way for farmers to connect with consumers and give them the opportunity to learn more and see exactly where their food is coming from. I'm Reba McClone. To the soybean farmer who knows the early rise, who's there even when times are hardest, whose fingers bless Wisconsin soil, who sows in our hearts and grows for our children. To the soybean farmer, we stand with you. Strengthen the voice of Wisconsin farmers. Join the Wisconsin Soybean Program at wisoybean.org. I bet many of you don't even know that Wisconsin's got a school of veterinary medicine right there on the UW-Madison campus. Sometimes, if you don't need that resource, you don't realize it's there. That's the way it was for Jody. Her dog, Piper, came down with an emergency gastrointestinal problem, and she needed help right away. And she turned to the UW School of Veterinary Medicine. I called them immediately, knowing that I could get through to somebody, and they pretty much walked me through it. And that alone just put me at ease. So I called back probably 15 minutes later and said, I'm on my way. Fortunately, that emergency after our visit to the UW School of Veterinary Medicine was productive. Today, Jody is a strong advocate for the UW School of Veterinary Medicine and their expansion project. My name is Jody, and I'm the mom to my dog, Piper. I 100% support the building project for the UW School of Veterinary Medicine, and I hope you will too. It's a gem for Wisconsin. You can help. Go to animalsneedheroes2too.com for more. So Wisconsin farmers took advantage of any dry weather they could find last week. We've got 93% of our corn in the ground, 81% has emerged, but farmers are not as confident about that corn crop as they were in just a week's time. 52% of our corn rated good to excellent, that's two percentage points lower than the week before. 88% of our Wisconsin soybeans are in the ground, 59% of the soybean crop called good to excellent. We're still about two weeks behind as far as soybeans are concerned. Some of the crops that look pretty good are oats, 71% rated good to excellent, and our potato crop, 
82% of that rated good to excellent as well. Don't forget, Bryce is going to be joining us in a moment. A couple things we got to focus in on. We've got the G20 Summit in Osaka, Japan, coming up later this week. And, of course, uh, the bigger picture, what's happening with Prevent Plant Acres. The federal government will give us their estimates on Friday. So lots of things that are coming our way. In overnight electronic trade, December corns up three and a quarter cents at four sixty and a half. November soybeans up four and a half right now at nine thirty seven and a quarter. July wheat up two and a quarter cents at five forty and a quarter. In the dairy trade yesterday, barrel cheese dropped a penny and three quarters to one seventy two. Forty pound block cheese was up a penny and a half at one eighty four. Double A butter up a penny and a quarter at two forty and a quarter. What about fluid milk contracts? Well, in overnight trade, July milk is down a nickel, 1703 a hundredweight. August milk unchanged right now at 1744. September milk actually gained six at 1770 a hundredweight in overnight electronic trade. Well, I think we should take a break because we've got a lot of things we want to talk about with Bryce Knorr, commodity specialist, Farm Futures Magazine, farmfutures.com. He joins us live via Skype next. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. Art doesn't see disabilities. That's because art is truly for everyone, all artists, ages, cultures, and abilities. But for individuals with disabilities, making art transforms not just them as creators, it transforms everyone around them. VSA Wisconsin has been changing lives through art for over 30 years. We provide accessibility and participation in all arts learning that enhance so many aspects of life. For thousands of Wisconsinites with disabilities, from three years old to seniors, we offer participation in music, visual art, creative writing, movement, and drama. What can VSA Wisconsin do for you? Inspire. You'll see at our programs, shows, events, and sales throughout the state. Attend classes and workshops taught by professional artists at the VSA Art Center in Madison. Or visit our gallery and shop and take some inspiration home. Visit us online at vsawis.org to volunteer, donate, to get informed, get involved, and get inspired by art all over again. Two people meet. One of them is attracted to the other. What does this person do? They look at the ring finger of the left hand. That's what they do. Men do it. Women do it. Kessler's has over 1,500 beautiful ways to say, I'm in a committed relationship, without ever having to say it. Ladies' diamond wedding bands start at $290. And men's gold bands start at just $398. We even have hundreds of styles of stackable rings to mix and match. And even if you didn't get your engagement ring from Kessler's, we have the perfect wedding band in our showcase. Or we can custom make you one. Because Kessler's is a manufacturing jeweler. When you place that gold ring on her finger and hear a voice say, By the power vested in me by the state of Wisconsin, I now pronounce Gold makes it a marriage. Welcome to Kessler's. Over 1,500 wedding bands are waiting for you right now at Kessler's, the home of America's strongest jewelry warranty. Find the Kessler's nearest you at Kessler'sDiamonds.com. Work in the back 40 like it's only a 20. It's Pam Yonke and the Wisconsin Farm Report. 547 on a Tuesday morning in time to find out what's happening in the marketplace. Bryce Knorr, commodity specialist, Farm Futures Magazine, farmfutures.com, joining us live via Skype. Honestly, buddy, I don't know exactly where to start. We've always got weather as a underlying conversation, but this week we've got the G20 Summit. We've got the Prevent Plant Report coming out on Friday. And we've got our, our 
erratic planting progress report out yesterday. What's making the market nervous this morning or making it more nervous this morning? Well, really, we've got a couple of markets. The financial markets are definitely nervous over the G20 summit, the tension with with Iran, and just the kind of the overall global malaise. So uh, Wall Street uh, uh, starting to look like those folks just want to go on vacation. But money is moving into commodities, including crude oil and the grains. And uh, that's one reason uh, uh, why we've been able uh, to support prices, uh, despite some, you know, all these conflicting reports coming out. Uh, grain prices uh, higher again uh, overnight, uh, led by soybeans after the uh, crop progress report uh, showed the initial condition of the soybean crop at the lowest level uh, for this uh, first report uh, since uh, 2012. Of course, that was a drought year. We're in the opposite situation this year, but uh, the all the water definitely taking a toll on the crops. One thing I noticed, uh, particularly with corn, is uh, we really have two corn belts this year. The western corn belt, for the most part, uh, the crop got planted, uh, albeit late, uh, but the crops are up and growing. We saw ratings improve in uh, Iowa, Kansas, uh, those states, but a completely different story once you get on the other side of the Mississippi River, uh, the ratings in the eastern Corn Belt, uh, all the way from Wisconsin to Ohio, drop sharply. Uh, yield potential in Ohio, uh, for example, down 12 bushels per acre uh, this week alone. So those initial lofty ratings we saw for corn, uh, which farmers were poo-pawing uh, pretty broadly, uh, their uh, their initial comments appear to be coming true as uh, the, the crop looks pretty tough, particularly in the eastern Corn Belt. And then there's the report on Friday. Uh, is anybody bantering about prevent plant acres now that, you know, here we are, end of June? Well, uh, everybody's wondering what the prevent plant acres will be. We won't get that data probably until August. What this report will tell us Friday is the government's uh, updated acreage forecast based on a survey they did in the first two weeks of June. So it should uh, catch uh, some, but not all, of what happened in corn. The soybean number will still be pretty up in the air. I'm looking for the corn acres uh, to be down to around 87 million. Uh, That would be uh, almost uh, 3 million below uh, where USDA was earlier this month and almost 6 billion or 6 million uh, from where they were in their March intentions. Uh, But uh, the historical trend shows that uh, this uh, June number will shrink even more when all is said and done. So we could lose another 4 million acres of corn. Uh, so the market focused not only on yield, but really on uh, on acres uh, uh, going into this uh, report. We all, it will also tell us the June 1st stocks information. Uh, that'll probably take a backseat to the acreage numbers, however. I just got to ask you, because it's been such the buzz in Wisconsin, now uh, Risk Management Agency has come out and said that, yes, you could plant corn and soybeans as cover crops as well. I mean, you've got to be careful. There's all kinds of different caveats. Does that muddy the water when it comes to some of these reports, Bryce? 
Well, it, it really hard to say what's going to be happening uh, with uh, not only the RMA but the prevent plant. Uh, if you pl if you plant that stuff as a cover crop, uh, do you get the full MFP or what's going to be mm -hmm. the deal there? Uh, it's going to be extremely uh, difficult to, to say what any of these. Uh, uh, things may wind up being because USDA seems to be dribbling out the uh, their their comments. Uh, it's kind of a Chinese water torture with just a drip drip of information, but we still don't have a complete picture on what all the rules may be. Yeah, very good point. Drip drip. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what's happening with our uh, arteries of transportation. So again, more weather that was pretty heavy around uh, the upper Midwest. What's happening with our river transportation? Well, we opened the river system in St. Louis uh, briefly over the weekend, uh, and uh, but uh, St. Louis Harbor has closed again as of yesterday when the water level. Uh, move back above 38 feet. It doesn't like it. Look like it's going to reopen, perhaps uh, until the end of the month. Now, so the, the river system once again uh, clogged up, uh, kind of like uh, when you have an accident on the Dan Ryan at rush hour. Nothing's going to move, and it looks like uh, nothing will be moving at least through St. Louis, getting down to the Gulf uh, uh, for almost another week. How much is that really complicating? our scenario in agriculture. I mean, I'll, okay, everybody will say, well, we're not selling anything anyhow. But boy, we are so off the mark as far as normal transportation is concerned. Well, we're starting to see uh, soybeans move out of places like Toledo, uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, southeast Atlantic ports. Uh, so we're, we're trying to get these crops out however we can, uh, particularly soybeans, because uh, that's where we have a record book of unshipped sales. Uh, the corn market also being affected uh, because buyers are, are rather than uh, try to get those uh, crops out of the U.S. Are, are turning to overseas supplies. There's a big crop coming out of Brazil, and they're capturing more and more of the export traffic. So corn really taking a back seat. Also, that's one way the market uh, rations uh, old crop supplies. So we'll have enough uh, to stretch us through until the 2019 crop is harvested. Mm -hmm. So uh, between now and Thursday, what's going to be catching your attention, Bryce? What might we want to train our eye on? Well, watch the December futures chart. It's been in a, a very nice uptrending channel uh, ever since we made our May lows and started this weather rally. We've been testing the bottom of that channel now. Uh, so it's important for us uh, to uh, hold that uptrend. And then I think Friday uh, will be a make-or-break moment for the corn market, at least as we move into summer, with uh, the weather starting to look warmer and perhaps a little drier. All right, so keep an eye on that. Very good, my friend. We will catch up with you on Thursday, find out just exactly what's going on one day ahead of that USDA report and ahead of the G20. Bryce Nora, Commodity Specialist, Farm Futures Magazine, farmfutures.com, joins us live via Skype every Tuesday and Thursday to let you know what's percolating in the marketplace. And of course, remember, read him online, farmfutures.com. He updates his comments on a regular basis. It's 555. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke.